Welcome to the Perusia podcast, inviting expert guest speakers each week to discuss their own faith journey as well as a different aspect of the Catholic faith every Wednesday morning at 8am live on The Voice of Charity. That's that's truly an excellent point, and it's uh, it's just as true for the the lay priesthood as well. So the priesthood of all believers, isn't it? It's uh, you know, we it, there's no such thing as standing still in the spiritual life, is there, Father? We're either moving forward or backwards. Absolutely, we have to always. It's uh, in our life as Christians, it's a continual process of, of conversion, whether it's big or small. We're always, you know, turning our minds and hearts to God, or at least trying to anyway, yes. uh, even if we do stumble. Indeed. So let's talk about your priesthood for a moment, Father. Um, where did you grow up? Yes, yeah, so I, I, I was born in Vietnam and I, 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 um, my family came to Australia when I was eight years old. So I grew up in a suburb uh, in, uh, in Lakemba. So as you know, Lakemba is a very multicultural area. It probably was even more so uh, during my time. These days it's slightly different. Uh, probably have a, it probably has a more... Uh, Islamic persuasion these days than what it was, say, 30 years ago, where I grew up in Nekemba. Um, but yeah, but it was it was a very interesting place to grow up. So. Mm. And what brought your family out to Australia? Yeah, so, so basically, my dad was one of the refugees that um, mm. who, who fled Vietnam after the Vietnam War. So my dad was, uh, was a lieutenant in the Air Force uh, during the Vietnam War, uh, on the side of the South side, of course, which was the um, side that, that you know that was lost out in the war mm -hmm. and so after the fall of Saigon um, you know my dad was in prison for eight years um, mm -hmm. and after he came out that's when you know um, you know he started planning to um, escape Vietnam and move on to a better life and and thank God uh, he uh, eventually he left uh, he, he tells me that he left on the 13th day of the month 
So when he got to, you know, he, eventually he was pulled over by Malaysian fishing boats and mm -hmm. uh, to Malaysia refugee camp there. And then from there, he applied for asylum to Australia. But when he came to Australia, you know, he, he saw these movies, you know, these movies Friday the 13th. And, you know, so people over here think that, you know, the 13th must be the worst day in the world. But he says for him, it, it was the, the best day of his life. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's how it turned out. Indeed, yes. Um, I and have a once he came here, he um he sponsored the rest of us over. So my mother, my sister, and myself. Wonderful, that's excellent. Yeah, my, I myself have uh, a particular love of uh, the number thirteen. I was actually born on the thirteenth of August and baptized on the thirteenth of October. So Fatima days. So uh, and, and of course, Saint John Vianney was uh, ordained on the thirteenth of August. So there you is go. Is that right? There you go. <laughs> ah, thank you for that information. We will get to more about John Vianney uh, very, very soon. Um, Father, do you think that your your own father's uh, life of service and, and sacrifice had any influence on your discernment into the priesthood? Quite a lot. Um, you know, um, I guess growing up as a child, I probably didn't appreciate it as much. As I got older, especially through high school, and at the hold, I realized, well, this man has given his whole life uh, to myself and, and our family. Um, obviously, there's a lot of the grace of God working there as well. So I have a lot of uh, gratefulness to God, too, uh, not just to my father. But certainly my father was an instrument, I think, in what uh, God was doing to bring me to this moment that I am in my life at the moment. So I'm very grateful um, to my dad, um, not just on a human level, but I think there's, there's something about him that is open to God, to allowing God to lead him to a particular life. Mm. Um, and he, and I, I think he's still, do, still doing that now. He's, he's still, he's, he's the chef of the family. You know, whenever I go home, have right. a meal, my dad is the one who does the cooking. So, right. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, he, he, he's, his life of service hasn't ended and he's, he's still doing that. So I'm, I'm very grateful to him and I, I, I admire him very much for that. Fantastic. I'll have to swing an invite to dinner by the sounds of things. <laughs> <laughs> and was your, were your, your parents always Catholic? Well, that's, that's an interesting thing. My mum's my side of family have always been Catholic. My dad's side are not. So my dad's side are sort of like Buddhist, sort of non-practicing Buddhist, if you like. So, but my dad was, you know, educated in, in a religious setting. So he's... He, his family, they've always had some respect or quite a lot of respect for priests and nuns. So my dad, even though he wasn't Catholic, he was, you know, educated somewhat in, in, in a Catholic scene because they do live a very near, very um, significant redemptorist church in, in, mm. in, in Saigon there. So, um, so when my dad um, married um, my mother, uh, he became a Catholic. So my dad is a convert. Uh, whereas my mum's side of the family have always been Catholic. Okay. And what about yourself, Father? Was there a particular moment that you can remember when you started taking your own Catholic faith more seriously? Yeah, I mean, I, I was sort of fortunate because I was brought up in, a, in the Catholic faith. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was baptised Catholic. Um, we went to Mass every Sunday, uh, even as a teenager when, you know, it's, it's hard to wake up on a Sunday and go to Mass. But still, you know, we all went to Mass as a family. And I always found that, you know, even though as a teenager especially, it was very hard to wake up on a Sunday morning and go to Mass. Uh, it always made the rest of the day really a, a really nice day, even though initial, initially it was a struggle on a Sunday morning. Maybe it has something to do with temptations on a Sunday morning. I don't know. But Sunday mornings was always the hardest morning to wake up. And, but, you know, I always found that the rest of the day was so nice once, uh, you know, you made the effort to wake up and go to Mass in the morning. So, I mean, my, um, my upbringing was um, pretty much in the Catholic faith. But I would say that I probably didn't have uh, a close or personal relationship uh, with Jesus as much as I did, um, you know, until I probably finished high school. So even though I went to Mass every Sunday, you know, in, in a sense, I was sort of like, you know, a Catholic just went to Mass on Sunday and that was it. But I, I think really the, the major conversion in my life was probably after I finished school, when I, I started uni and I had this opportunity um, to do a course with this De La Salle brother who, who was from my high school. 
and it was basically a renewal in the sacrament of baptism. And it just got me to think, well, you know, I'm, I'm a baptized Catholic. How do I live my life to make the most of the grace I've been given? And it was, you know, from doing that course and from that realization that I, I sort of, you know, I, I've read the scriptures more. I started reading the Bible, especially the, the stories about Jesus, the New Testament. And I just got much closer uh, in, you know, in, in terms of having a desire to really follow Jesus a lot more closely. So I would say that that is one of the major points of conversion in my life, if you can call it conversion. I mean, conversions come you know, in big and small. Obviously, that's not uh, the same as your story, Matthew. You, you have a much greater conversion story than I do. But basically, yeah, but that's pretty yes. that was it for me. Yeah, uh, mine is uh, quite dramatic, as uh, many people know, and uh, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I, I think I'd rather your story, Father. <laughs> now, obviously, we are, we are looking at you in a Roman collar, so something must have happened in your faith journey that changed your life in a uh, completely, I imagine, unexpected direction? Yeah, I mean, as, uh, you know, it, it was from that point of actually trying to have a closer relationship with Jesus where this uh, idea of following him uh, into the priesthood uh, mm. became very real and became a lot louder to me. Um, you know, as, as a kid, I've, I've always had my priests. I've always had good priests uh, around me. And I've, there's, there's something about the priests that always attracted me. But, but after, after school, and um, when I was, you know, coming closer to Christ, uh, especially through the scriptures, it's just a greater desire to follow him more closely. And I thought, what better way it is, uh, there's no other better way to follow Christ than to be one of his priests. And so when I, you know, towards the end of my time at uni, I, when I finished uh, my degree after five years, I, um, I decided, well, this is the time to test out that calling, to test out whether this is the life for me. Is this the life? Because I, I had this inclination in my, in, in, in within me that that the the, the life that I was pursuing, um, even as an engineer, uh, even mm. something that I really enjoyed, um, would not bring me the greatest happiness that God had on offer for me. And so that was when I entered the seminary. Mm. But when I entered the seminary, I, I still wasn't exactly one hundred percent sure. But I knew I had to make some sort of leap um, of faith, if you like. But it was after one year of the seminary that um, I, I think God really confirmed um, my vocation for me. And it was on that 30-day retreat, 30-day uh, Ignatian retreat. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough retreat. It's, it's, you know, it's 30 days of silence. Um, but it was... I look at it. I look back at it now, and I still think it's probably was probably the best moment of my life, wow. because it was a time in which I experienced um, the spirit of evil in the sense that sort of that sort of scared me more than anything else that scared me, mm -hmm. and yet at the same time I experienced the grace of God and the power of God mm -hmm. and the victory of God over evil, and to me that was a great source of inspiration a great source of encouragement um to to say that you know this path is worth worth pursuing that even if i don't know what the final result is that it's worth trusting in this god wherever he's leading me because i know that his power what he has done in the past in my life what he continues to do and what he will do will be good enough for me it will be better than anything that i could achieve myself and awesome. so to me, that was a great um, yeah. affirmation. And, and, and here I am. I'm, I'm still here as a, a priest. And I look back to that moment all the time with great gratitude. That is fantastic. And, and of course, you make a really good point there that, uh, you know, when you enter the seminary, it, it's not like they ordain you as you walk through the door. It's continual discernment, isn't it? And uh, there have been many people who have started out in seminary and have come out uh, and gone into the to the married life. Uh, Shabal Raish, for instance, spent a year at the seminary, and yesterday he had baby number eight. And yeah. so it is uh, highly encouraged to to all men to 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 maybe 
consider the seminary, wouldn't you say, Philip? Absolutely. I, I think even even if a, a a young man does not become a priest, mm -hmm. nevertheless, seminary life will set you up for whatever life that you want to live, uh, whether that is in a married state or a single state. I think mm -hmm. it, it helps build a certain routine in prayer and relationship with God that is helpful to anybody. And I, I think the other thing I want to say about that is that, you know, I think sometimes these days, I think people, I think discernment is good, uh, but I think sometimes people discern for too long. It's like they mm -hmm. become perpetual discerners. And mm -hmm. there's always a bit of a step whenever we're discerning. There's always a bit of step into the unknown. I think that's the way that God leads us. We, we don't know exactly how the future will turn out. Mm -hmm. But as long as I think we trust in what God is doing, then we can take that step. That, that even, let's say you enter the seminary and um, you, know, you discern that that is not the life that God is calling you to. Nevertheless, it could be a step in which God is calling you um, through the seminary, but to other things. So, um, so I, I think you know, sometimes people can be afraid to take that step. And I, I think you know, we, we shouldn't be afraid. I, I, I think we should try to step out a bit uh, because that's the way that God works. Yes, I think I'm hearing that uh, no matter how it turns out, that um, seminary life is is actually something quite wonderful and something to be embraced. Absolutely, because I think you know seminary life, in a sense, is very different to our current culture, our, our modern culture. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's a it's a life that's di disciplined, a life of continuous prayer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's a life of sacraments, but it's also a communal life with others. Mm. So I, I find that um, apart from the spiritual development we've got and, and things like that, I found that I've also grown as a human being in the seminary. Because mm. in the seminary, you also have, you know, all different types of people. I, I think the great thing about the seminary in Sydney at the moment is that I think it, it's, it's, it's a very good representative of the church in Australia. Yeah, it's got... All sorts of different, if you went to churches around Australia, uh, you would get sort of snippets of all that in the center. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and I think that's a great thing. Um, and, and that builds the, the, the person up humanly as well, because, you know, as I said, there are many different people, people with different personalities, different opinions. And I think it's, 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 it's great. It helps us to mature in how we re relate to others as well. So, I mean, for me, as I said, I, I grew up quite being in seminaries. I, I came to seminary when I was 23. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I was that mature when I entered the seminary. But I think I grew up um, in that particular environment with the help of God, you know, through prayer and, and, and mm -hmm. study and, and all those other things as well. So it, it sounds like for the first place, you know, COVID hits and prevents you from going to Rome, which I'm sure is a, a great disappointment. But uh, it sounds like you've kind of landed on your feet there, Father, by entering back into the seminary life, uh, into this wonderful, ordered, um, amazing uh, environment. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because, I mean, people say that you shouldn't love seminary life because mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're there to be a priest. You're, you're there to be training to be a priest, not to be a seminarian for, for eternity. So, uh, so you shouldn't enjoy seminary life too much. Um, but, but, you know, I've, I've never had a bad experience uh, during my time in seminary in Sydney. So I, I was always happy to step back into the seminary. Um, obviously, life is very different as a priest in the seminary compared mm -hmm. to as a seminarian. Obviously, as a seminarian, um, you are under for formation in, in a, uh, you know, I guess in the technical sense, um, and you know, uh, and there there uh, certain ways, certain things that you need to do, certain responsibilities. Uh, as a priest who's not as a member of staff and it's not a seminarian, there's I guess there's a greater freedom. So mm -hmm. I I enjoy the prayer times. I, I enjoy the meals with uh, the seminarians or with the staff. But I don't uh, have the the same responsibilities um, as the seven, other seminarians in the seminary, for example. Um, so, uh, so I quite enjoy, in a sense, life as as a priest in in this way. But obviously, you can't live like this forever. Eventually, I'm going to have to actually do some very seriously it's very serious work in the parish. Um, so I, you know, people tell me I, I should I should you know 
enjoy this as long as I can. And uh, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. I have to really work hard like all the other priests in, in Sydney. <laughs> oh, uh, the very best of luck to you, Father. We'll keep you in our uh, prayers. So at what point of a, a seminarian's journey does the ordination to the diaconate occur? So, so right now, um, usually uh, the diaconate occurs for a seminary who's usually in seventh year mm -hmm. of the seminary. Um, but obviously that depends on many things, depends on many factors, depends mm -hmm. on how um, um, the, uh, the, the staff uh, see the seminary, whether the seminary is suitable. And, you know, in the seminary, there are many ways to um, look at seminarians. Obviously, we have the four pillars of formation, uh, the human formation, the spiritual, the intellectual, and the pastoral. Mm -hmm. And the seminarians do all these things. Um, so it's not just one thing. Um, you know, the, the seminary staff will look for all those things, um, uh, you know, within in, in the seminarians, and will judge, of course, um, with of course, the bishop has the final say. So the, the seminary staff will recommend a seminarian to the bishop, and the bishop mm -hmm. will make the final decision whether to ordain them. But if, if all goes well, uh, the mm -hmm. seminarians are usually ordained a deacon in their seventh year. And how long after that is it usually until a deacon is ordained a priest? Yeah, so usually, again, depending on the bishop, depends on the archdiocese, mm -hmm. uh, but, but usually about six months to a year. Uh, after mm. the ordained a deacon, then um, we'll have the priesthood ordination. So tell us now about uh, your own ordination, Father. First to the diaconate, and then to the priesthood. Was this uh, was this something that you were absolutely certain of towards the end, or were there doubts? Uh, could it be likened to the uh, last minute panic of uh, a uh -huh. man who's about to be married to a woman <laughs> and cleaved to her for the rest of his existence? <laughs> Well, I, well I, I, I didn't have the last minute panic, but I, I remember at both ordinations, Colonel Pell, who ordained me both a deacon and a priest, uh, he would go around to candidates and ask them, now, are you sure you want to do this? You know, <laughs> just in the sacristy before you go out. Um, and, you know, so I didn't have any major doubts. Mm, um, as I said, the, the road ahead, I can never see clearly 100% because mm. God always surprises. But I was confident enough in God that whatever God had in store for me, that it would be the best for me. So, um, so that was the confidence I had. Um, so not, not in terms of people in our world where they talk about being 100% sure, uh, being risk averse and, and all those things. Not in that sense, but, but certainly in, in the confidence that what God had on offer for me. I was quite fortunate. Um, my diaconate ordination, um, I was by myself, so I had the option um, where to have the ordination. And yes. Colonel Pell was very generous um, because I, I suggested that we have the diaconate ordination at my home parish of St. Therese Lakemba. So he came to Lakemba uh, for my diaconate ordination, and that was in um, November 2012. And it was a great occasion, uh, not only for myself, but for the parish, uh, having not only my family, but but also, you know, people that I've grew up with, um, I've been involved in that parish, you know, for almost my whole life, um, grow, having grown up in Lincoln. So uh, it was a great occasion. There was a, there were so many priests and um, there were, uh, you know, I guess one of the hardest things sometimes being ordained as a deacon is actually getting um, your friends who are deacons because, you know, usually we, we meet transitional deacons who, be, who become priests and usually, mm -hmm. Um, you know, the deacon will become a priest before the new diaconate ordination comes in, if that makes sense. So, yes. so you sort of you sort of lack these transi transitional deacons for your uh, diaconate ordination. But you know, obviously, it's nice to have deacons there because you're welcome into that all the deacons. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was very fortunate; we had um, uh, a few deacons, including uh, permanent deacons who came. So um, mm -hmm. that was a, that was a wonderful occasion. And then, uh, of course, the priesthood ordination was um, in July 2013. So that was about half a year later. And that was at the cathedral, uh, the Mother Church. And, um, and you know, it was a wonderful occasion. Uh, um, you know, often on my anniversary of ordination, I, I 
have to say, I, I, I sometimes watch that video again of my priesthood organization at home with my family. Awesome. Um, because, you know, during the time, it was, it was a wonderful occasion, beautiful occasion. Mm. But I was also quite nervous. I was also making sure that I got everything right, that, it, you know, well, I, that, I'm meant to, that I did what I was meant to do on the day. So I, I, I hadn't been able to sort of soak it in as much. So when, mm. when I watched, you know, uh, my ordination again, and I've seen it several times, um, mm. it just sends a shiver down my spine every time. Mm. Um, even listening to the, the readings of the day, listening to the wonderful music, um, seeing my family, you know, my, my, um, my parents in tears. Uh, it was, yeah. it, it's a wonderful, a, a wonderful occasion. I mean, my, my, my dad, you know, my, as I said, my dad is, was a lieutenant in the, um, in the Air Force. I mean, I've never seen him cry my whole life. You know, he's, oh, he's, wow. he's, he's a very tough man, but, yeah. but he cried both at my diaconate and my priest ordination. So um, he, he's, not, he's not a man to sort of express things, express his feelings very well. He's, he's usually... Mm-hmm. He keeps to himself. Yeah. But, you know, those tears, I think, said a lot um, about how he felt uh, on that day. And then, and that touched me quite a lot because, you know, yeah. it, it, obviously if something that's touched your dad in that way, then uh, obviously yeah. it meant a lot to you. Yeah, and you'll probably carry that for the rest of your priesthood, isn't it? It's, uh, it's incredible how uh, intimately connected uh, fatherhood is you know, with, with priesthood. No matter whether you're whether you're in the ordained uh, religious sense or in you know in the the married sense as I am, and certainly listening to you talk about your ordinations, I'm hearing a lot of similarities to to the day I got married as as well. So it's uh, it's good to remember that. Mm-hmm. Now you you've already mentioned Father a great trust in what God uh, had in store for you, and uh, you've mentioned a, a doctorate. So uh, you clearly like studying, Father. <laughs> well, I, I, I certainly don't mind studying. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a person uh, who thinks that, you know, I always need to study. Uh, mm-hmm. I always need to gain more knowledge. I, in fact, mm-hmm. the more I study, the more I think I, I, the more I need to study. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the more I study, the more I realize how much I don't know. So yeah. I don't mind studying. Um, you know, interesting, you know, I, when, when I entered the seminary, um, Going to sort of philosophy and theology, at least philosophy initially, was quite a challenge for me because mm. I, I came from the sciences. I, I you know, I, I, mm. I came from the maths and the science background. I studied engineering at uni. Mm. So, you know, I, when, when I went into the seminary, I had not wrote an essay for several years, for example. Mm. You know, like in, in, in engineering, you write reports, you don't write essays. Yep. So if, even that was not easy for me but as as i continue to develop i've come to really really enjoy it i really love it um, and and the more i study especially a subject that i really enjoy um the more i, I get into it and and the more i'm very appreciative of mm. what uh, the subject matter is mm. studiositas is is actually a virtue isn't it father yeah i, I mean you know i i think the ability or at least the desire to mm. learn and to know about the world in which God has created and what God does in that world, uh, that's a great benefit to us all. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something that we should really cherish. That's right. And, yeah, we, we, we do have a, uh, almost an obligation to learn more about this God uh, because the, the more we know about him, the more we enter into relationship with him. And uh, yeah, even those who have never had a sort of a university education uh, can learn more about their Catholic faith through, uh, through Bible studies and online resources. And that's what Perusia is all about. And uh, so we could pray for that virtue. Lord, give me the virtue to study. Yeah. Now, before we go into the subject of your doctorate i need to wish you a very happy feast day of uh, saint john vianney father thank you same to you and same to your listeners it's, it's a wonderful Indeed. feast, a wonderful saint and uh yeah it's, it's a day worth celebrating and a great way to to great day to end our nine day novena on as we do every year and so now we come to uh the the second reason why um, we were delighted to be able to speak to you because your doctorate is actually on St. John Vianney, is it not? That's right, yes. What so, attracted uh, you to that subject? 
Well, um, when I was studying uh, for my license in Rome, um, I came across a subject mm. on St. John Vianney. Uh, and mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've always uh, liked St. John Vianney, but mm. having studying this subject on St. John Vianney just made me just made me like him even more. And I wanted to go further mm. into this topic because I think he's a fascinating man. Um, you know, we, we hear about him a lot, but, mm. but there's so much to it in, in his, not only in his life, but in his, in his context in which he mm. existed. And I just thought that um, being a patron saint, the patron saint of parish priest, uh, mm. he would help me a lot um, in, um, being a better priest for God's people. So that's why I sort of really got into it and, and that's why I'm pursuing. Uh, okay, fantastic. Well, so I'm certainly a man who does not know anything about St. John Vianney. Uh, you know, I came home to Holy Mother Church at the end of 2015 and my learning curve has been steep. Um, so I'm actually a man who knows very little about St. John Vianney. Uh, where did St. John Vianney, where was he born? Where did he live and where was his priesthood? Yeah, so St. John Vianney was born in a small town called uh, Dadili, uh, mm -hmm. which is near Lyon, uh, towards sort of the southern part, southeastern part of France. Uh, he was born in uh, 1786, so just three years before mm -hmm. the French Revolution, before the upheaval. Wow. And, um, you know, uh, for, for those who don't know about the French Revolution, it was a terrible time for the church. It was... Uh, the church was decimated. The church in France was, you know, sharp priests were persecuted. Um, the faithful priests were forced underground. So that was that was the context in which he grew up. And mm. and when he finally and he struggled through being a being a person who grew up on the farm, um, the French Revolution didn't help his education. Uh, he he struggled through the seminary, uh, at least in an academic sense. Even though you always had good piety growing. Mm having grown up in a pious family. He struggled through uh, his priestly formation, was finally ordained a, a, a priest in um, 1815. Hmm. And then, and then was sent, uh, well, first he was uh, helping out as, a, as an assistant priest, and then he was finally sent to Ars in uh, 1818. And Ars was this sort of small rural parish about, about over 200 people was sort of out the way parish uh was, you know, nothing much happening and he came there and he completely transformed the parish um mm. and you know by the time he died uh, it was estimated about you know 120,000 people so came to see him every year um wow. because everybody heard about this this uh priest who was doing wonderful things um mm. in the parish and obviously every you know, there were many people coming him to him for confessions and many people experienced um, miracles through his prayers and, and all that. So, wow. um, so by the time he died in 1859, uh, this sort of humble priest in a small rural town was, became um, the talk of France. Uh, wow. And then he was, um, he was beatified in 1905. Um, Mm -hmm. canonized in 1925 and became the patron saint of parish priest. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's quite an amazing story. And as you say, he was born into a very turbulent time, the French Revolution, which was very um, anti-Catholic. But uh, we're also talking about a period that's uh, not even, a, or about 100 years after the Protestant rebellion as well. Um, did that have any influence on his priesthood? Well, it's interesting because the, the, the Protestants, um, reformation brought with it a, a sort of a very negative mm. um very pessimistic view of the human person if you like that the mm. human person um could not you know could could not cooperate with grace even that that you mm. know it was all about grace um and that sort of affected this particular movement in the church in france called jansenism and jansenism was sort of like you know the the um the catholic almost equivalent of Calvinism in the way that, in, in the way that it, it emphasized grace over human will, that, you know, God's grace could overpower the, the human will. And pretty much the human person had no say whatsoever in responding mm -hmm. to God's grace. So obviously you can see then that 
that led to um, the doctrine of predestination. So people were predestined to either be saved or be damned. Um, mm. But that also had a very negative impact on, on sort of that group, on, on, on the way that they look at the human person, you know, on the human body, on what the human person could understand by human reason. Mm. And so there was this negative outlook as well in, in the church in France at that time. So by the time St. John Vianney came along, um, Jansenism has sort of died out a bit, but still there was that influence. So he encountered that certainly in his parish at Ars, as mm. well as in nearby parishes around Ars. That, that mm. you know, like, um, so, you know, and the other thing about Jansenists is that they were, um, you know, they, they had a very uh, high view of uh, the sacraments, which was great. But the problem with that is that you know, they, it came to the point where they were not even receiving the sacraments, not receiving the Eucharist, for example. Um, so, so you could say that St. John Vianney um, existed at, at a very interesting time, because on the one hand, he had this um, influence of Jansenism that was very pessimistic, very negative on a human person. And on the yeah. other hand, he had the, the effects of the French Revolution, which was yeah. this overly optimistic view of the human person, that we can just do whatever we want without need for God. Yeah. So, so, you know, he was sort of stuck between these two um, ideologies, if you like, of the mm. time. Yeah. So um, yeah, pre you've mentioned that, you know, predestination um, is, you know, one of these, and double predestination is one of these um, doctrines that's come out of uh, Calvinism. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, the ones that always struck me was uh, the Calvinistic idea that humans are totally depraved. We, we, can, we can do nothing for ourselves. There's no good in us. So I, I always joke that uh, it was once I fully understood uh, Calvinism that I ran screaming home to uh, the arms of Holy Mother Church because it has massive implications for someone like myself who struggles with the disease of alcoholism. If I, if I have no free will and I'm totally depraved, what am I fighting for? You know, why, why am I resisting this terrible urge to drink on a daily basis? Is this not simply how God has, has designed me? And as you say, this uh, this seems to have had this kind of influence on Jansenism, where where God seems to be this big bully in the sky who's just waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. And that terrible idea of, um, you know, only the holy could receive the sacraments. And so, as you say, you know, we've got the Eucharist, which is it's 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 the medicine in, in a certain sense, isn't it, from the divine uh, physician. And it it has it has healing powers, healing for the body and the soul, uh, and so this is you know the the idea of of not receiving the Eucharist is uh, is very detrimental to the human person, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the Eucharist is a source and summit of our life. Um, mm. Obviously, there's there's there has to be a balance in everything that we do, mm. Uh, mm. even in this you know, in this spiritual realm. Because on the one hand, we have to have great reverence for the Eucharist. Right? So we have to prepare ourselves well. And St. John Vianney will certainly, um, certainly enforce that, that, you know, that, you know, there, there's a story of um, uh, a couple of stories of people who have actually came up uh, um, uh, from, from the stories of, of his, you know, um, uh, canonization of people who testified that, um, that, you know, on certain occasions, he would just walk past them and didn't give them the Holy Communion. They wonder why. Yeah. And they realize later that they've been, you know, breaking the fast or, or yeah. been, you know, misbehaving before they came to Mass on that yeah. day. And, and so obviously he expected that, you know, his people would have a certain reverence and respect mm. for the Eucharist, certainly. Yeah. And on the other hand, he also wanted his people to receive the Eucharist, to, to, mm. to not just think that, okay, well, because I'm, I'm so unworthy, therefore I should not mm. receive the Eucharist at all. So there was, there has to be this balance between mm. um, being, making ourselves trying to be ready to receive the Eucharist, but also mm. to be able to accept this great gift of God. And yeah, um, you know, I, I, I can't say how, how important, how great the Eucharist is. Uh, I, I, I can't express how great it is. I mean, mm. uh, and St. John Vianney certainly, um, you know, he had a great love for Eucharist. And, mm. you know, when he was the end of his life, when he, um, um, you know, when he was older and his voice sort of gave way and he, you know, back then there were no, no microphones. So, mm. you know, whenever he was preaching, he, 
sometimes he would lose his voice towards the end of his life. He would simply point to the Eucharist, the tabernacle, and just say, he is there, he is there. That's all, that's all he needed to say. Um, Yeah. For him, that that was that was the, the big factor in everybody's life. That's a very Eucharistic priesthood, isn't it? And of course, yeah, we need to be reminded that St. Paul in the letter to the Corinthians tells us not to eat or drink in an unworthy manner. The church teaches us that if we are in a state of mortal sin, uh, come to mass, yes, but uh, go to confession first before receiving the Eucharist. But uh, as you're saying, at the same time, don't get caught up in the, the scruples of sin to the point where we think that we're in mortal sin when we're actually not. We need to turn to the church for that sort of guidance. What sort of effect did this heresy of Jansenism have on confession, Father? Well, I mean, I mean, the Jansenists were very severe um, yeah. on, on within the confessional. So, mm. um, you know, for, for them, you, you couldn't have imperfect contrition. That is, you know, mm. you, sometimes you can go to confession because you fear God, right? So, so you fear okay. punishment, yep. you fear hell. Um, the Jansenists expected that you can only receive absolution when you, you come there with the right intention, which is our mm. love for God. Um, Interesting. So the Jansenists were very strict when it came to confession. Mm. And for them, the Eucharistic fast was in a sense um, can can be a part of the result of confession. So in a sense that they would actually even advise people to stay away from Eucharist mm. as as a way of sort of uh, sort of retribution, if you like, for mm. the sin, as to be deprived of the Eucharist for a, um, for a moment of time. So mm. it was very severe in that sense, very strict, um, mm. very you know. You could say it's very disciplined, but it was sort of mm. over the top. Um, mm. And of course, you know, Saint John Vianney um, responded to that very well because, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was he was sure. I mean, when whenever someone, you know, Saint John Vianney had foresight in the confessional, so whenever someone um, uh, didn't say or didn't tell their sins, he would weep and he would say, you know, I'm weeping because you're not, you're not weeping for your sins. So I'm weeping. Wow. For you. That's amazing, um, Grace. The there. Joviani was that you know he took a lot of penances on himself. So, as opposed to Jansenists who sort of forced the penance onto the penances, um, he actually he was actually quite lenient in the confessional to the sense, really? the sense that he took penances on himself. That's why he spent a lot of time um, mortification, all that, taking mm. you know penances, um, penance on himself. Mm. And and people who go who've been to confession to Saint John Vianney. Um, even those who haven't been to confession for years and years, and they come out and they say that, you know, he was so merciful to them that mm. it's, 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 they just, they've just completely changed once they left the confessional. That, that mm. the experience with him in the confessional um, was, you know, a, a moment, a great moment of conversion for them. So, wow. I, I mean, Giovanni spent... I mean, uh, at times, I think up to something like 16 hours in the confession all day. So, so you know, his, his ministry, you could mm. say, um, revolved around um, um, forgiving sins so that people can come closer to God and obviously mm. and to receive the Eucharist and be nourished by the Eucharist. Because that's, that's really the job of a priest, isn't it? To reconcile man to God. And it, it sounds very much like St. John Vianney lived that out almost to perfection, would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, as, as a priest, I think there's probably nothing greater uh, hmm. than to see the grace of God at work in a person who has um, sort of left their old life behind and hmm. become a new person. I think for priests... Uh, there's great satisfaction in that. Um, mm. I, I experienced that a few times when I was a chaplain in St. Vincent's Hospital. Um, mm-hmm. and, but St. John Vianney did it so well. Um, yeah. and, 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 the, and the great thing about St. John Vianney, I think, is that he was, he was humble enough, he was lowly enough, he was weak enough that God's grace shone through him so, uh, so uh, readily, you know. Um, because if he was such a, a great uh, master himself uh, in everything that he was as a human being, 
um, the grace of God could not have been seen so evidently. Mm. But with the fact that he he was he put himself so low that mm. that you know everything that he did, you can say his whole life was a miracle. Everything that he did showed forth the grace of God. So whenever you know someone experiences something with John Vianney, you can say, yes, that's definitely the grace of God at work. And I think that's what made um, made his life and his ministry so great. Wow. And you've, you've already mentioned that there are surviving stories of how he influenced uh, individuals. Uh, do you have a particular favourite example? Um, well, there, there were there were a few people. Um, you know, some, some people, you know, one, one of my favourite stories is um, actually a, a, a certain priest um, who criticised St. Giovanni. So St. Giovanni suffered uh, even from calumny as, as a priest, because when you're one, one, you know, some priests were jealous of him, some priests, because, you know, people started flocking to him. And one priest wrote a letter to him and, and said something like, you know, Monsieur le Cure, um, if I, you know, if I had, you know, low level of theology as you, uh, I, I would not be in a confessional, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And it was quite insulting. Um, you know, I, I imagine if I receive a letter from, from a priest, I would not be very happy. But you know, John Vianney's response was uh, was totally um, unexpected. John Vianney yeah. said, "You know, my friend, you know how much love I have for you. That you understood me so well. That you know, that you know that you understood how incapable I am. So that you know, if you can work and and help me to to." you know, retire from this, this work that I'm doing that I'm so incapable of, I'll be very grateful to you and I can go to a life of solitude and weep for my sins. Mm. Um, and it's interesting that responses like that to other priests change them. Um, mm. You know, that instead of being angry at them, he, he, he virtually agreed with them that, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right to criticize me uh, because I'm, I'm nothing of a person anyway. Wow. But, but he converted so many hearts. Like the same thing in the seminary when he was, uh, I mean, in his formation, he studied with um, other young men who were, in a sense, brighter academically than he was. Mm. And you know, they, they would often laugh at him. But they were, in the end, they were moved by his piety, by his humility, mm. his dedication to God. And, 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 and it's those instances, instances that are so amazing because, you know, how does a person react like that um, mm. without the grace of God? And, mm. and to me, those instances, um, I'm so amazed by them because, as I said, it's, it's not something that I would probably be able to do myself if I was in that situation. But <laughs> it was understand. because of those responses that really moved others. And, yeah. and it, this priest who criticized him uh, in the end was, uh, you know, actually came up, apologized to him. Um, mm, wow. His responses. So yeah, that's loving the enemy right there, isn't it? That's right. Right. So you've talked about uh, temporal uh, enemies. We know that um, many of our saints who have experienced lives of holiness and piety have uh, experienced great difficulties from our number one spiritual enemy. Uh, Did uh, St. John Vianney experience um, any sort of of great attacks from the enemy? He, uh, <laughs> he, he had so many attacks from, really? from, from wow. demons and from the devil that, wow. that you know, you, you, you wouldn't, uh, it's probably, uh, you can't count how many times he's been attacked. And it's interesting that um, early on, uh, you know, so while he was sleeping, you know, he would, the devil would come bang on his door, bang really? the stairs. Um, he would hear sounds like rats, you know, crawling around his room. Wow. And initially, it scared him. Initially, John mm-hmm. Bianchi was quite scared of this because he, you know, it was something new to him. But eventually, he sort of got used to it, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that, but at the same time, people didn't believe him because, you know, he, he told others that, you know, he experienced it. They thought, oh, you know, you're, because you're just, you know, sort of um, mortifying too much. It's sort of affecting your um, mental mm-hmm. state or whatever, you know. Right. And, and so there's, there's a story of this one time when uh, he was going on mission with a few other priests and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they were telling him, look, you know, John Vianney, you know, you're, you're probably not eating enough, you know, you're having probably hallucinations. So 
uh, yeah, <laughs> it's probably not, you're probably not experiencing what you think you're experiencing. Right. Um, but this one night, um, the devil came and he was on mission, so he was with a few other priests. And you know, there was this banging and, and, you know, and things were moving around the room. Mm-hmm. And all the other priests got scared, you know, and, and they ran to his room. And there was John Vianney just lying uh, calmly on his bed and saying, oh, don't worry, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is the devil coming. <laughs> okay. This is normal. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, wow. But, you know, um, but, you know, the thing about John Vianney, and it was on that particular occasion mm. that early in the morning, in the early hours of the morning, there was a knock on the door. Mm. And there was this, this soldier who had walked all night several hours to come for confession. Wow. St. John Vianney realized that whenever he had these disruptions at night, um, the evil spirits were, you know, having go at him, mm. uh, taunting him. Um, they will often, you know, taunt him and say that, you know, there's a place in hell for him, that he was going to hell and all that. But he said that w- whenever he experienced those things, he came to realize that something good was going to happen the next day, that someone mm. would come to him in a confession who haven't been to confession for decades and decades, and yeah. you know there'll be a major conversion. So he, he wow. came to realize that, hang on, this was a disruptive plan on the part of the enemy. Hmm. And so, and so, I, I think he came um, uh, not happy, but you know he 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 was he was ready, and and he saw as a great opportunity that you know when the yeah. devil came, he knew that it was something good. The devil was trying to. Um, stop him from doing something uh, that, that's going to be very good. So, uh, yeah, he, he, he just got used to it. And um, the biographers say that by the, by the end of his life, uh, the devil gave up. Um, wow. So he, so he wasn't bothered um, at the end of his life anymore, mm. but basically. But through most of his life, there were attacks from the devil uh, mm. on many occasions. Wow, uh, this is just uh, um, amazing stuff. You, you've, so he's he's clearly a holy man. He's a he's a pious man. Uh, I forget which of our saints said it, but uh, I, I think uh, someone once said, uh, "Lord, save us from dour saints." Mm-hmm. Um, was Saint John Vianney a, a, a good-humoured man, or was he more of the serious type of saint? I think St. John Vianney was a very witty um, really? um, man as well. So yeah, uh, I guess he would probably be more, um, you, you think of him as, as a, obviously he, 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 he didn't like dancing. So he's not, he's not, he's not your, uh, your outgoing sort of, <laughs> your outgoing not sort the of. center of the party, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, he, he would be a person who I imagine that you would, it would be great to have a, a conversation with because mm. even though you wouldn't think it being a, a, a man who was sort of uneducated um, mm. for a long time, couldn't read for a long time, he knew, he knew um, the scriptures well, he knew the church's teachings very well, and he knew how to relate it to the common person. Mm. So you know, his homilies always well adapted to um, to the parishioners, parishioners of, of his time or the people who have come to listen to him. So I imagine that if you had a conversation with him, he would be able to um, present things to you in a way that would really hit home. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that that shows through um, for, for, from those who've been in confession with him that they always mm-hmm. seem to come out enlightened in some way. Obviously, a lot of that is because the grace of God is working through him. Yeah, I mean, you think how does how does a, a a man who's hadn't had the same education as most people would have, mm. and yet he's able to speak with such wisdom mm. in a way that touches the inner being of a person? He can only do that because of God's grace. But nevertheless, he he, he would have been uh, a, a great person to um, to speak to, I think. Um, yeah. But also, you know, also a very humble man. Um, because you know, there, there were a few times when he tried to run away, and yeah, right. the parishioners eventually stopped him and pulled him over. And, <laughs> and you know, but you know, he he, he never really resisted. So I, I can imagine that he, he would also have a, 
create a you know soft spot for um, for people as well. So he he's certainly not an aggressive sort of person. Um, wow. Uh, he sounds like an absolutely amazing example for all of us. So what, what, uh, have you got a working title for your dissertation on St. John Vianney? Yeah, so my, my, my doctorate is basically looking at the life and ministry of St. John Vianney, so his spirituality in mm -hmm. the context of Jansenism and the French Revolution. So in the oh, context of those two, two ideologies. Mm. And, and to basically try to draw some sort of comparison of those two ideologies to today's world and to see how this the Dostum priest respond to today's world um, following on the example of how St. John Vianney responded to Jansenism and the French Revolution. So, so basically that's, um, that's what I'm trying to do and, and, and that's a work in progress at the moment. Wow, fantastic. And uh, look, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, is there, do you have any, Last thoughts on St. John Vianney. Is there anything that you that you haven't told us so far that you would like to? Well, I, I just think, you know, St. John Vianney was uh, was an amazing saint for the fact that I think, as I said, his whole life was a miracle, you know, mm -hmm. everything. And, and if you read his biographies, I recommend people read his biographies. Okay. Um, they're actually quite entertaining in a sense. In, in, in a sense. Really? Because, um, <laughs> On, on, on the one hand, you have this this man who struggles through, and sometimes you read and you think, yeah, that is a bit funny, you know, the, the way that yeah, he, the way that he was, uh, um, he struggled through things, and yet on the other hand, the his his ministry brought up, brought about such just amazing experiences for people uh, who came to him. It just showed forth something really special. Mm. And, and to me, I just think, you know, if, if only a fraction of that happened in my life uh, mm. as a priest, I'll be very happy and I'll be very amazed. Um, and so I, I thank God that, that you know, we have this, this priest as, um, as our patron saint. Um, mm. he's, he's, he's just a wonderful, a wonderful model for priests. And, and, mm. But what's very interesting about St. Giovanni was that just as back then when he suffered from a lot of calumny from other mm -hmm. priests. He drew mixed reactions. Uh, he, he still continues to draw mixed reactions. So when, when Pope John, the, John Paul II visited France, apparently there were even some priests who said, you know, you know don't sort of hold St. John Vianney up too high, you know. We, right. you know? And even today, I think if you speak to um, priests, I think priests will have different um, opinions about St. John Vianney. Mm -hmm. I think given the fact that sometimes he, he, he seems a bit severe for our times in terms of his severe mortification and so on. But mm. I think he's such a great example um, for priests because it just shows forth the grace of God so much. And I, I think that's, that's the best that, that, that we, can, we, we can do as a priest if, if, we, if, if we allow God to shine through. And I think that's what he did uh, very well. Awesome. Have any of his writings survived? Yeah, so um, there's, there's some collection of his homilies. There's, mm -hmm. a, there's a collection of his um, uh, uh, catechetical instructions that he gave. Uh, mm -hmm. So there are a few books, and, and, and the, well, obviously mainly in French, but there are translations that you could also get in English as well. Hmm, fantastic. Well, uh, Father Dominic Nguyen, uh, clearly uh, Rome's loss is the Good Shepherd Seminary's gain. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And likewise, it's been Parisia's uh, gain. It's been an honor to talk to you on this subject. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Thanks, Matthew. It's been wonderful uh, to be with you today. And I, I wish you all the best uh, for what you do. I, I think what you do is also wonderful for uh, Catholics out there who are trying to um, learn more about their faith and to be closer to God. Excellent. Thank you very much. So that's uh, a very happy feast of St. John Vianney to all of our listeners. And uh, big thanks uh, for staying with us uh, from me. This has been another Perusia podcast. That's, us, that's uh, enough from us today. So uh, farewell and God bless. Welcome to the Perusia podcast, inviting expert guest speakers each week to discuss their own faith journey 
as well as a different aspect of the Catholic faith every Wednesday morning at 8am live on The Voice of Charity.